Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. As we gear up for award season, there's no better time to join us. By becoming a Vanity Fair subscriber, you'll gain exclusive access to our in-depth coverage of film, television, and the best of Hollywood. And that's just the beginning. Vanity Fair takes you inside the worlds of entertainment, culture, politics, and scandal, bringing you iconic images, era-defining stories, and much more. Get 15% off a year of digital access to Vanity Fair by visiting VanityFair.com and using promo code POD15 at checkout. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a full year of insights and exclusive digital access. Subscribe now. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm Katie Rich, and I'm here on my own right now to introduce the first of a new format of episodes we'll be doing. As you might have heard before, we're going to have two Little Gold Men episodes every week going forward, which is really exciting. Um, we're going to start having our interviews with some of the most interesting actors and directors and filmmakers and TV showmakers in the industry working right now. They're going to air on their own. Mostly, we'll be airing them on Tuesdays so that the regular Little Gold Men episodes with me, Richard Lawson, David King, Field and Rebecca Ford will come out on Thursdays as usual. This week's a little different because the Oscars just happened. So you heard our main episode on Monday, wrapping up the Academy Awards. And today we will have my interview with Severance star Adam Scott. Going forward on Tuesdays, you can expect the interviews and on Thursdays, the main episode. But this week, we're changing it up. So this interview will cover the first seven episodes of Severance, going through Defiant Jazz, which aired on March 25th. So spoilers ahead, uh, Adam Scott has done interviews for Severance before, but this is kind of the first time he's been able to talk about the show as it unfolds. And if you're watching Severance, then you know there's a lot of mysteries and twists and turns in there, which I was really excited to get into with him, you know, trying not to do my best Chris Farley and just say, you know, this part was cool and this part was cool because I think Severance is great. And I thought it was really interesting how he revealed toward the end of our conversation how nervous he felt about it and how much of a gamble it was. You know, he had this really long, successful run on Parks and Recreation. He's been this comedy guy. Severance is certainly more dramatic, although not without its comedy. And it's a very different kind of uh, office story than Parks and Recreation was. But I thought it was really touching that someone who has been successful as long as he has can still get those kind of nerves about taking a big leap. And I think I agree that Severance has paid off and hopefully you too. So let's hear my conversation with Adam Scott. And again, stay tuned in the coming weeks for two Little Gold Men's every week as we continue our great conversations with the most interesting people in Hollywood and then our analysis of all of the awards races around them. Let's hear the conversation now. So yeah, let's start with the big revelation at the end of, I think it's episode seven, uh, which is the last one people have seen as they hear this, which is that we finally learn who Mark's dead wife is. Yeah. 
And, I, you know, an overall question in general, the show relies so much on twists and turns and really such a complicated narrative. So when you go into the season or even you sign into the role, how much do you know? How much do you leave room for yourself to be surprised? Well, yeah, I just I, I knew everything going in. You know, we shot the whole season at once. So it wasn't like we could go episode by episode and, and be surprised as it went on. We shot it like yeah. a nine hour movie just jumping all over the place. So, yeah, I knew all the twists and turns and uh, it was always a matter of just keeping everything straight. It ended up being sort of like a math problem because we're keeping track of each side of Mark, obviously, but also, you know, that's two separate arcs uh, Mm -hmm. and where they each are in the story, but also how they may be affecting one another, not intellectually because the, you know, the brain is bifurcated, but emotionally not bifurcated. So how does one kind of affect the other physiologically or emotionally? Yeah. I mean, when you're signing on to something like this, what becomes clear as the season goes on is the the history of Lumen and the mythology and, you know, these compli- thick books of history of this yeah. company that we don't really get to see as the viewer. And But I think it's such a huge part of the show itself. How much of that part, the kind of background information, do you get filled in on? Uh, basically, anything we wanted to know, Dan Erickson, the creator, was always around and would let us in on anything, really. Um mm-hmm. And it was always fun to sort of pick his brain about this place, about why this thing is happening and why that thing is happening. And like all science fiction, I enjoy anyway. I love the sense that you're just seeing a little bit of the iceberg peeking out, Mm -hmm. you know, when you see one thing or the other. And there's all this, like you said, all this mythology and and history behind every little thing about this company that we're being exposed to uh, in, in yeah. the course of this story. Do you feel like you have to be careful about how much you learn because neither version of Mark really knows the whole thing, but uh, but you can get access to it, but do you have to hold yourself back? There, there are some things that aren't necessary for me to know, but just as a kind of fan of this sort of stuff, I'm I'm always curious. But again, because we're, you know, doing the whole thing at once, I just sort of needed to know uh, as much as possible in order to uh, yeah. to play it and, and know where in the story it was all fitting in. And, and yeah, but there's still a ton of stuff about this company and the future of the show, if there is a future of the show that I that I do not that I'm not aware of. Yeah. Is there anything that that we have seen in this season that you know about? that we don't, that you want to just like brag? Do you know what the baby goats are about, but we don't? I may. I may. <laughs> okay. You don't, I'm not, I don't expect you to reveal it. I just want to give you a chance to show off your depth of knowledge. I may, I may have an idea of what the baby goats are about, <laughs> <laughs> but it would be no fun if I told you. Oh, no, of course. I'm, I'm not expecting that. I just want to, uh, <laughs> You're just to know what I you know. dug into. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I have a good idea of what that is. Yeah. I'm interested in what you said about how, you know, one side of Mark affects the other one, because as you said, it, they don't know that it's happening. Um, and, you know, part of the revelation about Mark's wife is that you realize that Koble's been testing him on whether or not he knows that and mm-hmm. for a while we can tell he doesn't. But for, it sounds like for you that there are things that transfer over. And I'm curious about what those are and, and how you play that. 
Well, I think that there is a melancholy that sometimes sets in uh, with any Mark that is sort of unexplainable to him. You know, sometimes we find Mark uh, just sitting at his desk and uh, thinking, you know, he's often thinking about, uh, you know, in the course of, the, of, of what's going on, on in this season of whatever with the predicament he's in, you know, and how Helly kind of kicked off this new state and Pete's absence kicked off this sort of new stage of his time down there. I think up, up to this point, he hadn't been, you know, asking a lot of questions uh, about mm-hmm. this place and, and taking pride in, in whatever work he, he was getting done and in being a part of this, of this larger mission, however unspecific that mission may be. And he, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't someone that wanted to ask a lot of questions about what, what that mission may be. And, 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 and PD obviously was. Um, yeah. But I think that moments of melancholy down there to him could be sort of unexplained. And I think a lot of this is the carryover from Mark in the outside world and, and mm-hmm. the fact that that in the outside world, he's someone who has cashed in his, his chips in a way and, and given up and and is still broken and hanging on to this grief, you know, for dear life, because it's sort of all he really has left of, of his wife is uh, this grief he does not want to move mm. on from. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think the severance is a way of hanging on to it uh, without yeah. having to feel it 24 hours a day. That's really interesting. Like doing something that drastic is like it's giving into the grief, even though it's also getting away from it yeah. for, for part of the day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the moment where you ride down the elevator, there's there's the camera effect, which I guess is like the vertigo shot where like the camera zooms in but pulls back. Mm-hmm. I can't I've never I haven't put my finger on it, but your face changes too, and it's a very specific thing. And I'm I'm curious what that is for you, like what what you do in that moment to to make that transition visual. Yeah, it was we we did it a lot, you know. We had a couple different days of doing because you know um, I don't know how many times I do it over the season, but but each one was specific to whatever was going on in the story, both in the outside and the inside world. But aside from that, I think just Mark in the inside world is just limited in his intellectual experience. Um, mm-hmm. His for all intents and purposes, just a couple years old. And Mark in the outside world, obviously, is 40 some odd years old. And so he has 40 some odd years of joy and sorrow and and all of the things that go along with a rich, full life that's sort of, uh, you know, now ended up in a place of of stasis and, and grieving. And so how those two different circumstances affect the physicality of Mark and the sort of either lightness or heaviness or or all, all of those things uh, is sort of what I would keep in mind when when kind of transitioning from from one to the other it was really challenging and and really fun always I, I could do it all day like I kept asking for for more of those um, because I never mm. ever felt like I I got it. Ben and I both are are um, people, I think, who would just never go home if we thought that we could, 
you know, if, if there was the carrot dangling of really nailing it. Uh, and mm. so we would do this for a while and it was really fun, but, you know, always, always challenging. Well, there's a there's a draining aspect of that that I guess maybe is uh, puts you in the character at least. Of, sure. Uh, you know, yeah. you're in this one box and you're going to do it until you get it right. It's uh, right. not like That's counting right. numbers. That's right. Um, it's, so it sounds like, you know, if someone asked you pay, play a three-year-old, what you would do with your face might be similar to what happens at that moment. Like a, a racing, a life's context, mm-hmm. basically. Yeah, kind of a, a bit of a blank slate. Yeah, it's like an acting class exercise. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Yeah. Um, this most recent episode made me think a lot about the way that um, that chemistry evolves and that character relationships evolve over the course of a season, because this is where you see Mark and Helly kind of connect in a way that they haven't yet. And I think when you watch a show, you think like, oh, the male lead and the female lead, like, oh, I wonder if they'll get together. That's like the oldest TV trope. Mm-hmm. And But it takes time on this show, and it's different, obviously, from the way the characters are. Um, and I'm just curious about about slow rolling something like that, or even keeping track of it when you're filming something like this, like a long movie, you know, you're jumping all over the place. So what are, how do you keep track of a moment like that for those two really unusual characters to find what feels very familiar to us as like a workplace romance? Yeah, I think that, first of all, there's a rule of no office romances in at Lumen. It's vehemently discouraged. But even aside from that, they don't know what a romance is. They've certainly never experienced it. So there's no reference point for even broaching the subject of something like this. So it's all feelings. It's all raw, new feelings. That and Helly's someone that came into Mark's life as the antithesis of everything he's... um, he's been brought up to believe. I mean, the things she says and does when when she appears down there are just mind-boggling why you Mm. would even say or do that. Why even question why we're sitting in a circle throwing, you know, rolling a ball back and forth? What what do you mean? Um, And for her, I would imagine Mark uh, just seems like this sort of company man who is uh, just sort of stopping her at uh, at every turn. And so I think it takes a while for them to get past that stuff and start to see each other for whoever they actually are down there. And I think stripping that stuff away is not only something each of them needs to do in order to see each other, but it's something that Mark has never even thought about doing for himself. Actually, mm-hmm. You know, and so the the combination of Helly, of the things she says and does, of the map that Petey leaves, and and of the book, Rickon's book that he's reading and getting all of this new mind-blowing information and perspective from, the combination of those things are starting to peel those things away for Mark to actually see himself for the first time and actually think of mm. himself as a person who deserves some sort of uh, free will yeah. for the first time. And, and I think that is what it what needs to happen in order for the two of them to see each other. Yeah. I wanted to ask about Rickon's book. And, you know, this is something maybe to ask Dan Erickson too, but it is so perfectly silly, 
but profound yeah. and like <laughs> I can figure I can think of the real world version of that really easily. Yeah. And you know, it's like you were saying, like they have no outside context, so it all feels very profound. But what like what is the balance you think that it's important to strike there of something that we can also relate to while also kind of getting while it why it's a little nutty? Yeah, I I mean, first of all, that book, um, you know, Dan wrote 40, 50 pages of this ridiculous book. And so when I'm reading it in the in the bathroom stall or at my desk, I am actually reading the stuff he wrote. And it is so funny. And it was so tough <laughs> to to shoot sometimes because I had to read it out loud. But also some of the stuff I didn't even end up reading out loud in the show is really great. I, I'm urging Dan to finish writing this tome and get it out there uh, because it's really Yeah, on bookshelves really nationwide. Funny. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you read that stuff, even even the Dan Erickson version of a self-help book, you read it from the point of view of someone in Mark's circumstances, and it is profound. It is fascinating. If all you've been exposed to is, you know, propaganda or mm -hmm. wh wh however you want to define what's going on down there. It is important and there is legitimacy to it. Uh, the fact that it's affecting Mark the way it is legitimizes it. The mm -hmm. fact that it affects anyone like that legitimizes it, or at least that's how I had to think of it while playing those scenes. Whereas in the outside world, yeah, it's ridiculous and he's a yeah. he's a ridiculous person but i think uh rickon also is you know the death of uh mark's wife i think was something that uh that affected everybody uh out there in their world in their yeah. immediate circle when i think rickon is like is ridiculous but also not a bad person mm -hmm. and very lovable and i like that mark kind of knows that he shouldn't be so mean to him mm -hmm. because he's he's well intended um and i and i like the the mark and devon relationship and uh, you know the the work that you do with gentle like it's so different from what's happening inside yeah. lumen like that is such a you know the way we think about a relationship being established on screen between two characters, I think a lot of it is due to writing, but then comes down to you guys, too. Mm -hmm. And when you're playing that kind of more really natural relationship as opposed to what's going on in Lumen, like, is that a is that a new process for you of balancing those two sides of relationships? Yeah. You know, Jen is so just such an excellent actor and such a great person to hang out with and work with. It was really fun finding those scenes with her because, you know, some of them are 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 hard and there is a, a balance there you know like like the what we see of lumen in the in the in the show and it being just sort of the tip of the iceberg peeking out of the mm -hmm. water i think similarly with their relationship we're seeing the results of a number of things that have happened in the past few years um rather than seeing it all laid out there i think we're seeing a really meticulously built circumstance and both of their reaction to what's been going on for the, the past couple of years. Yeah. It's been a long time, I think, since I've seen a show that had so much left unspoken. Like, I think so many, so much storytelling is eager to, like, get you hooked and have have a mystery, but have it be about who's murdered, not about, like, what is this world? Like, it's really, I mean, you said you're a sci-fi fan. Like, is there a, 
a comparison that you make in terms of how this world is set up or, or what the rules of it are? Yeah, I mean, I, I discovered Twilight Zone when I was 11 years old and and because it was on every night at 11. Uh, uh, so I could watch it instead of the news before Johnny mm-hmm. Carson and Letterman and stuff. And uh, and I, I it just, you know, like it has for so many, it just sort of opened up my imagination. And I feel like that show, as far as exposition goes, it was lean and mean. And they, you know, they had half an hour to establish circumstance and kind of set up conflict and character and and then resolve it in half an hour. And so they didn't really waste any time on these long expositional speeches. And I I think that's a a really smart, because it's easy to weigh something down with too much info, like you said. Mm -hmm. And, um, And I think audiences now are pretty sophisticated and as they always have been really. Um, and I think, um, once you kind of trim away a a lot of that fat, um, you can really, um, do a lot with a little and people can get it and, and maybe even sometimes get more out of it. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much you pay attention to how stuff that you work on is received, but I, I think the enthusiasm around Severance and people really investing in these mysteries is, is really clear to me. Like, what what kind of feedback do you want to get or are you getting on, on how people are receiving this? Well, I was terrified when the show was coming out now about a month ago. And so I, I haven't read any reviews or anything like that because I was – you know, it, uh, this is a role and a show that I've been working towards and, and hoping for now my whole career, essentially. And, hmm. and you know, when I read it, I thought, if I'm able to actually land this thing, it's it's what I've been earning this, this whole time as a chance to hmm. actually get on a show like this and play a role like this. And so... Once it was time for it to come out and I saw myself up on the billboard and I I was just terrified because you never know. You never know how something's going to land, how it's going to be received. And I've certainly been a part of things that I liked and didn't really connect. And it's tough. It's it can be heartbreaking. And and so uh, I'm really relieved that people like it and, and connect to it and it, it, for for those who are and, and uh, just really pleased and relieved. But uh, I still don't know if I'm going to read anything just because I don't want to, I don't know, I maybe I will because it's, it seems like it's being received well and it's, it's really great. And I'm so happy too that Ben's incredible filmmaking is being received how it is too, because he's I, I, one of our great filmmakers. Yeah. I mean, did this feel like more of a gamble than most of the stuff you've done before in terms of something you've been building up to? Like, did, did you feel like you stuck your neck out more yeah. for the show? Yeah, it did. That's part of why I was scared, I think, is I felt like I kind of exposed myself a bit, a bit, sometimes a raw nerve. And sometimes, you know, I had to kind of take everything that I've gathered over the years and put it into this. It sort of took it all. and And it was the greatest experience. And I was sad when we finished shooting the season, certainly. Um, but it was, took it all. And so if it was dismissed or, or, you know, torn apart, I, I needed in order to keep going and get on to the next thing. I, I couldn't, uh, read any of that stuff, you know, it was a very personal 
experience making the show and and I put a, myself into it and and so uh, that's that's I, I that I think you're right I think that's probably part of the reason yeah I have not looked into this but usually on Reddit there's really good um, like fan theory collections that just might be very fun like, yeah less about you and more about like what are the goats about what's up with that house and just the you can you can see the depth that people engage with it maybe that's the, <laughs> the way to do it yeah that sounds fun. Yeah, I mean, if, if, if it does sound fun, and if not, we'll just figure it out for you. <laughs> that does it for this week's episode. We'll be back next Tuesday with another interview, and then the following Thursday with a regular Little Goldman Roundtable conversation. In the meantime, you can find us at VanityFair.com, on Twitter at Little Goldman. You can follow me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. This week's episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs. Brett Fuchs.